welcome. I appreciate you making it out in the middle of summer, because summer is sometimes, you know, it's a fun day to be outside right now. It's beautiful out there. So thank you for spending some time here with us. Today we're going to be starting a new sermon series, and this sermon series is focused on prayer. And so we're going to be talking through and discussing a whole bunch of different aspects of prayer. Why we pray, what we should pray like, how Jesus prayed, how Jesus called for us to pray like, why prayer is even worth it, right? So we're going to start with a poll. Did anyone here download the Logos or Faith Life app? Anyone? No? I'm going to skip the slide and I'm going to ask. What are the reasons you pray? Why do you most often pray? Here are a couple possibilities. Do you pray to ask for a request? Do you pray to ask to know God's will? Do you pray to confess your sins? Or do you pray for some other reason? What is the most often reason why you pray? All right, so now that you've got those in your brain, let's spend a few minutes talking. Whenever we pray or whenever we discuss prayer within uh, churches uh, in America, and especially in the evangelical church, oftentimes prayer is discussed in one of two different ways. Prayer is discussed as a way to get what we want, right? So I want something, and I'm going to pray for it. Whether that thing is to be... Woo! Someone is having a good time. Whether that that request is for something for myself or something for a friend or something uh, that I'd like to see or know about, Uh, it could be for good things altogether. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, give me insight. Give me patience. It could be a good thing. It could be weird things. Lord, give me a Mercedes. Right? It could be uh, random things. Lord, allow my football team to win. Right? We could pray for stuff. Lord, give me what I need to survive today. Should this be the primary reason why we pray, do you think? Like, is this the why behind why we pray? Is this the main thing prayer is good for? No? Next, we could pray to know the will of God. There's one subset within, uh, within Christendom that pushes so hard against the concept that prayer is to get things that instead they pray so that God can change you. They say you don't pray so that you can get stuff or change God's will, but you pray so that God can change you and you can learn his will. And that's the main thing prayer focuses on. And so you can pray that God would allow you to know his will well enough for you to survive within his will, right? Have you guys heard this one before? It's not what you can get, but what happens to you when you pray. It's about learning his will. And this is a good thing, obviously. It's good to want to be in God's will. I want to be. And it's good to ask him to make it apparent what it is because I don't know it off the top of my head most of the time. I can know parts of it, right? Does God want me to steal that candy bar? Hey, no, probably not. Don't really need to ask that one. Sort of like if I have a kid who for some reason just gets out of bed at 3 o'clock in the morning every night and they say, Daddy, can I get up? And I say, no, eventually they don't have to ask anymore because they know the answer is no, go back to bed. Please stop it. You're not supposed to be here right now. Why are you talking to me? I'm tired. Right? Sometimes you don't have to actually ask what God's will is. Sometimes it's apparent because he's spoken it over and over again. But sometimes we really do need to ask, right? Lord, am I supposed to be in Canton or am I supposed to be in Portland? Lord, am I supposed to be working at this job or that job? Lord, what do you have for me to do today? It's not wrong to pray for God's will. But do you think praying to learn God's will is the primary reason why we pray? 
sometimes we can even struggle with the concept of prayer because we may ask ourselves, why does it matter? If God's will is sovereign, if he already knows what he's going to do, if God is going to glorify himself regardless of what happens to me, if he's going to do what he wants to do regardless of my asks or requests, why should I pray, right? Why should I ask God to do something whenever he's going to do what's exactly in his will already? This might be something that pops into your head. It might be a why should I even bother praying question, right? I want you to imagine this. If you think that's rough, imagine this concept. What if you as a person never had to ask for anything? Because no matter what, you had the ability to meet all of your needs completely. What if you as a person never had to ask what God's will is? Not once. Because you perfectly know God's will already. It's just already in you. Not only do you know God's will is going to happen, but you already know what it is. Not only do you know that you don't need anything, but you know that you can make anything. Like, oh goodness, I am hungry. Jesus, can I have some food? No, you don't have to ask that. You just be like, boom. Moon pie. Yes, if I could create anything. Moon pies, in case you were wondering. I would use my powers for good. I'm just throwing that out there. What if you never actually had to confess anything to the Lord because you always perfectly followed his will? Would there be any point in praying then? And if there was point in praying then, that probably means that those things are not the point of prayer. Right? If you haven't seen where I'm going with this, let's talk about Jesus for a second. So Jesus, God incarnate, the one who created and sustains the world, the one who, by his will, allows the entire world to continue in existence, allows all of creation to continue in creation, for some reason had this habit of praying a lot. Did Jesus pray to get his needs met? Do you think Jesus needed, if he was hungry, to ask for food? Do you think he need to? Let's talk about this. Jesus, whenever he was hungry, first of all, just did God's will anyway, whenever he was in the wilderness. But also, whenever Jesus saw a group of people who were in need of a ton of food, we never see him praying that God would make a lot of food. He says, thanks, and then he makes whatever food he wants. Whenever Jesus needs money, he doesn't pray. He says, go and catch a fish. There will be money in it, right? Oh, and one of my favorite ones. So in the Old Testament, there's a time whenever Jonah is on this fishing boat, and this fishing boat is being rocked by this massive storm, and the people who are running the boat are freaking out, and they see Jonah downstairs sleeping, and they yell at him and wake him up and say, pray to your God so we can figure out what happened that caused this storm to come about. So these people were freaking out because the storm was coming through, and they pulled up prophets and people and said, please pray. Fun story. He said, I don't even need to pray. You can just throw me over the boat. It's my fault. Right? But their call was for him to pray. Jesus and his disciples are on a boat running through the middle of Galilee. Running through the middle of the Sea of Galilee, not the town, because that would be weird. Be on a boat, just going through the town. Anyway, moving across the Sea of Galilee, giant storm comes through. 
boat is being rocked by winds and waves. Jesus is sleeping in the prow of the boat, which is funny because it's the part that goes like this, and Jesus is just passed out, right? And they come and cry out to him, Jesus, we need help. And Jesus looks up at them and says, what? He personally rebukes the wind and the waves and stops it. Did he need to pray to do that? No, he just said, waves, chill. I'm paraphrasing. And the waves stopped. And this was so crazy that it caused his disciples to say, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him, right? So he did not need to pray to have his needs met. Did he need to pray to know the will of God? I would submit the author of the book of John would probably say, no, pretty heavily. Because as you walk through that book, you see over and over again, Jesus saying things like, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you want to know the Father, look at me. Uh, I and the Father are one. I have come to do the will of the Father. He knows the will perfectly. But Jesus, for some reason, prays a lot. A lot. Let's look at the Gospels real quick. In Mark, it's a book of immediacy. Jesus decides to do something, goes and does it, boom. And so it touches on his prayer, says, and immediately he went up to pray. Immediately he went out by himself to pray. And it talks about his prayer life a little bit, but it was focused more on the things he was doing. So it doesn't talk about it heavily, but it mentions it in passing quite a bit. In Matthew, it talks more and more about Jesus' teaching and what he was proclaiming. And so we hear Jesus praying more often in the book of Matthew. We can hear his words more. And he prays quite a bit. And we learn more about the fact that Jesus would go off by himself to pray. So he would still pray for some reason. In the book of John, this one is kind of my favorite. We're not going to talk about it today, but I promise you we'll get back to it. In John, there are only four instances where it refers to Jesus praying. And John did not do anything accidentally because he really wanted to focus on something or some aspect of Jesus. And while John only has four instances of Jesus praying, one of them is the most amazing prayer that Jesus prayed that I know of. And that's whenever he prayed for you. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you? Specifically? For all of those who would be his followers throughout generations, he prayed for you. Fun story. The only other reason why he prayed in John was, one, to say thank you before making a whole bunch of bread. Two, to say, Father, glorify your name, which God literally responded, paraphrasing again, so he literally spoke, paraphrase speaking, you know I will. Three, to say, Lord, I know you already know what I'm doing and you already hear me and see where I'm at. I'm praying for the people around me, for their benefit, not for yours. And then four, like a full chapter worth of prayer for the disciples and for those who would come after them. So John really wanted to focus on one aspect of Jesus' prayer life, and we will talk about that in a later sermon. We're going to touch on Luke today, because Luke was a historian, and Luke's goal was to demonstrate what Jesus did regularly. He wanted people to get a good understanding of who Jesus is and what he had done. And so whenever Luke was talking, he would mention what Jesus was doing at certain times, what the disciples saw Jesus doing, and what his life was like. So in Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, we see this. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized, he was praying. And the heavens were opened, and the Spirit descended on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven that said, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. 
In Luke 5, chapter 16, it says, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And in context, it's saying that Jesus would do this often or regularly. He made it a habit to withdraw and pray in places where people were not around. In Luke 6, 12, we say this, we see this. And in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. In chapter 9, verse 18, it says, And now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and they asked him, Who do the crowds say that I am? So in this one moment, whenever the crowds are about to proclaim Jesus as Messiah, they come upon him and ask him while he's off praying. Now, but eight days later, he took them, Peter and John and James, and he went up on a mountain to pray, and then he was transfigured. And they saw him for who he really is. Jesus prays. That was just a light smattering of us seeing Jesus praying over and over again in the book of Luke. Why would Jesus do this? Why did he spend so much time praying? If he didn't need to have his needs met, if he never needed to confess sin, and if he didn't need to discover the will of God. Even in Gethsemane, whenever we see Jesus praying and asking for something, He says, Father, take this cup from my lips. He already knows the answer. Not my will, yours. So he is proclaiming what he wants, but he's not actually asking for something new. He already knows what God the Father is going to do. Why would Jesus pray? Let me ask you a separate question. How many people here are married? Quite a few of you. How many of you are in relationships? Or have been in relationships in the past? How well did you know your partners then? Could you guess their mood by how their face looked? Yeah? Could you know their likes and dislikes? Did you know many of the things about yourself that annoyed them? And that you know they didn't want you to do? Did you still talk to them? Yeah, right? Yeah. I know Chrissy doesn't like it whenever I wake her up at 3 o'clock in the morning climbing into bed loudly because I act like an ox whenever I move, right? I'm being quiet now. One second, hold on a second, right? I know it annoys her because she wakes up and never falls back asleep. I know this about her. I know it. I don't need to ask her to do it. I don't need to learn her will in that. But you still communicate with them. You still spend time with them. Why? Why did Jesus spend time with the Father? Because prayer is an act of intimacy. It is an act of communication, and communication is an act of love. To phrase this in a way that you probably could hear in a churchy context... Prayer is an act of worship. Worship is this. It is demonstrating or showing love, devotion, or adoration to your God. And we can do that through song. We worship through song, right? You can do that in the way that you serve your God. We can worship in our service. But you also demonstrate love by talking to him and being with him and recognizing the fact that you are meant for him.
why do you think Jesus left behind crowds and went out to an alone place to spend time with God? Hey, if you're in a crowd of people, are you spending wonderful personal time with your loved ones? No. You're not able to focus on them. You want a fun, silly little thing about this? Stupid study that came out. Uh, There was a study that was determining whether or not people were able to maintain their cognitive uh, functions whenever they were on their cell phones. So if you're on your cell phone sitting with a person, uh, do you think you're giving that person your full attention? No, right? Duh. Fun story. They did another thing with it, and they had people turn off or, or, or leave their cell phone on, but volume down and sitting next to them. And so there was no way the cell phone would mute or ring or anything like that. Then asked them to spend time with people as well. How well do you think those people did at putting their full attention on the other person? Still bad. And do you know why? Because you literally have to take time to ignore your phone. You're dedicating some of your brain to not looking at it as opposed to the other person. They said if you want to actually be intimate with other people, literally leave your phone in a different room or a different place of your house or in your car if you're going out to eat with someone. Literally don't have it with you because you are spending some of your mental energy to not look at it. If Jesus was around a group of people, even if he was spending time with his father, he would be spending time not paying attention to those people around him. He would have to actually literally try not to think about them. Jesus would go off to a lone place so he could spend time with his father alone because his father deserves his full attention at times. Right? Prayer is an act of worship. Prayer is an act of adoration, love, and devotion. So here's this concept. As we're praying, wow, yeah, all my notes just go away. I want you to consider this. Uh, this book is not biblical, but I still use it for sometimes because it's enjoyable. Has anyone here read the five love languages? Yeah? Do you know the concept behind it at least? That people understand love in different ways, that you can show love and receive love in different ways, and sometimes something that you will do that is loving towards another person that you would do because of the way you show love, they just won't read it as love. It's a book about communication, basically, specifically concept, the concept of communication through love, Right? In this book, The Five Love Languages, while I believe there are far more than five, he focuses on five, right? And the five he focuses on are service, all right? So acts of service towards one another. He focuses on uh, quality time with another. He focuses on quantity time with another. He focuses on words of affirmation and gifts, offerings. Thank you. Fun story, as we look at the ways that the people in Israel and that the people uh, in the New Testament times demonstrated love and affection towards their God, these same concepts pop up. So we see them proclaiming words of affirmation to God. God, you are glorious. We adore you. You are the creator of heaven and earth. You are wonderful. Or in Jesus' words, Father, you are in heaven and your name is holy. Right? Right? 
service. We see people serving God with their lives. This is where the phrase, uh, offer yourself up as a holy sacrifice, pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Pour yourself out as an offering to him through the way that you serve others. We see people offering gifts up to God regularly. Their money, their... uh, So there were people that tithed in the New Testament period. There were people who gave money regularly to others in need. There were people who would, in the Old Testament times, offer up physical sacrifices to God. They would give things to him. They would give gifts. And they also spent quantity and quality time with him. They would pray with him and commune with him. There's a reason why whenever people went up to talk to God, they spent like 40 days and 40 nights doing it. They were spending a ton of time with God. And in quantity time, quality time emerges. Imagine if you're not in a relationship that you are dating somebody. If you are married, consider your spouse. And imagine what your relationship would look like if you gave them the amount of time that you give God every week would your relationship with them be better than it is now or worse if the answer is worse guess what easy fix start spending some time with Jesus alone together as a family as a church start spending time with him regularly Trust me, it's worth it. He is worth it. Interesting concept. Whenever Paul is speaking about marriage and he's proclaiming the ways in which husbands and wives are supposed to be functioning together, Paul says two things. And the first one is this. One, he actually says, uh, husbands and wives do not give up uh, honestly being intimate with each other sexually. Right? He's like, no, You have authority over you, and you have authority over you. Do not give each other up. Except to devote oneself for a time to prayer. The only time whenever Paul said it was appropriate for a husband and wife to not be intimate with each other, and I'm assuming he didn't just mean sexually, but in general, right? The only time anything could override a husband and wife's intimacy with each other is the intimacy they could have with Christ. There was no other reason to give it up. He also talks about singleness. And Paul says, brothers and sisters, I pray that all of you could be like me and be single. Not me. I couldn't do it. Him. Single. Right? So he actually says singleness is a blessing because it enables one to serve God with their lives. And I would assume as well he's not just talking about service, but actual attention given. Because we know Families and relationships require attention, right? No matter how much I say, today, Lord, I am wholly and fully devoted to you, if Christy has a bad day, am I devoting all of my attention and energy to Jesus? No, because I'm not perfect. And even if I was perfect, does that mean I shouldn't give her some attention and emotion and, and, and devotion? No, she deserves it, right? She's worth it. Jesus wants me to give that to her. But it does interfere with my ability to give it to him. 
So if you are single, first of all, I want you to know this. You're blessed. Because you can devote more time and energy to your relationship with Jesus than I can. It's a good thing. If you are married, if you are dating, please consider the fact that while your spouse or your boyfriend and girlfriend are very important and they are worthy of your time and energy and effort, they are not more important than Jesus. And they're not supposed to be. If you let your relationship with him sink, you're also hurting your relationship with them. And if you demand so much attention that your spouse or your significant other cannot spend time with Jesus, you're hurting them too. We don't need to be insecure whenever we're considering our spouse's or other partner's relationship with Jesus. We should know that our security comes from our relationship with him and their relationship with him. Make sense? Jesus prayed so much. You should pray. What do I want you to do this week? What's my takeaway? This week, I want you to spend some time with Jesus. Not to gain something. Not necessarily to learn his will, though I don't doubt you'll learn it a little bit more if you spend time with him. Not just to confess your sins, though please do not withhold from doing that if necessary. But spend time with him for your relationship with his, say with him, for your, I don't even know, hymns. Yeah, hymns is the right word there. Your relationship with hymns, sake. So that you have a closer relationship with him. I would love for you to spend more time with him for your sake and for his. For the purpose of getting to know each other more. And just because you love each other and enjoy sitting in each other's presence. When you do so, attempt not to be worrying or freaking out about the past. Attempt not to be worrying or freaking out about the future. Be with him now. That thing that you have to do sometimes whenever you're trying to actually put in a good impression with someone that you're working with or with a spouse or with uh, a family member. Whenever you leave your phone in a different room and you turn off your other phone so you can't get any calls and you do not have a tablet or computer in front of you and you have the TV turned off and you're actually looking intently at that person. Do that with Jesus. Try for 10 minutes. If you've been doing it for more than 10 already, add 10 more. I asked, why should we pray to start out with? Why should we pray? God loves us, takes joy in us. He loves you and takes joy in you. He delights in you, even whenever you do not perfectly follow what he wants. And so even whenever those parts of you that annoy him as your love (laughs) happen, he still delights in you. He pursues you regularly he chases after you he welcomes you he fellowships with you he accepts you as a member of his family he poured out his life for you 
so that you could be with him. Why should you pray? Why wouldn't you? I want us to take a moment. And we're going to spend a little bit of time now in silent prayer. We're going to pause as individuals within a congregation and we're going to consider the great love of God for us. And we're going to just adore him. So spend some time with your Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for welcoming us into your fold. Lord, we could never deserve this relationship with you. And Lord, we sometimes take it for granted. I know I do. But Lord, you delight in us all the same. Father, I do not know what we need to do. I don't know what we need. I don't even know what sins we have to confess. But I know we need you. So Lord, I pray that as we go throughout this week, may we pour out time with you. May we enjoy resting with you and in you. May we enjoy spending time with you for your sake for our sake, the sake of our relationship. And Lord, may you refresh us. May you grant us your peace. And may you enable us to live as you have called us to live. Thank you for this relationship, Lord. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Our lives for you. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Thank you.